With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've been preaching it, especially for the last month, given the circumstances of the Marlins schedule and how it's played out. And I know a lot of us here at Fish on First have said, you know, we, we just take it a week or two at a time, see what teams are playing, what kind of baseball at whatever time. But the Marlins schedule is considerably weak right now. It has been for the last few weeks, and there's just opportunities to strike. And it's been really, really nice seeing the Marlins actually take advantage of some inferior competition. So, Eli, what are your thoughts on just what's transpired this week and just any stuff that I didn't quite point out? Well, you touched on it at the very end where it should not be taken for granted whenever you sweep any major league team. It is hard to do that, even when you're at home, even when that team is at less than full strength and when their full strength is already the worst team in baseball. There's no such thing as like an easy sweep. There are easy series wins. I think just about every single person, except for Alex Krutchik, but just about every other person predicted the Marlins to win this series correctly. But then there are weird stuff like tonight, like today's game where Sandy was terrific for six out of seven innings. Things went horribly wrong with that one inning. And in a lot of cases, even this season, this Marlins team, if they give up a five spot in a single inning, that alone is too much for them to overcome. You were tracking those splits throughout the entire season. That when the Marlins gave up that many runs, they were for a while unable to win those games under any circumstances. And today, just the perfect exemplified exactly what we're seeing from the Marlins that's so impressive is that they do a lot of good situational baseball and they get just enough power. They had a three run homer for Cooper today and they were able to overcome that. And their bullpen continues to be, for the most part, still really, really good. Um, even though there have been some hiccups. This week, uh, probably one of the biggest hiccups they've had in terms of high leverage relievers when Dylan Floro takes over in a 4-4 game and gives up a five spot in that aided by some bad defense. When things go bad, you know, there, there's still weaknesses on this team. The defense overall is still a little concerning, but they're doing enough well in the other facets of the game. And now... Uh, steadily getting healthier and recently not losing too many significant pieces that you, you feel like they can sustain this. And as you pointed out, as we'll get to a little bit later, it continues to be a, a very favorable portion of their schedule coming up. And with Sandy, uh, he's another guy I'm sure we're going to talk about even more, even through his mediocrity for, through a lot of this year, he's going deeper into games than anybody else on this Marlin staff. And that continues to be extremely valuable where win or lose in this game, they only they barely had to touch the bullpen, and that means that they're pretty well set up to continue rolling um, with 
most guys pretty well rested and getting AJ Puck back. I think that's going to happen tomorrow as well. So they are in a really good spot right now. This is going, I think, better than even I envisioned a few weeks ago. I think the last thing that sums it up is with Jazz not playing this year, I want to make sure I have this stat right. When Jazz does not play this season, the Marlins are 14-7. and seven. I could not have foreseen that happening. How about the record without Sandy pitching? Uh, is, I, I, saw, I saw someone say it was like 28-20. Something like, yeah, no, that, that's about right, too. Yeah, that's about right, too, with, with Sandy. it's been a better testament as to how much the Marlins supporting cast has stepped up. It's been a 180 from last year where it was Sandy who carried pitching last year for the majority of the year. Jazz, in his only 60 games last year, he carried the offense. I feel like there, there's been a lot of guys that have stepped up and guys we didn't really expect to step up this year that kind of made it for the Marlins. I mean, everyone clowned the Yuli Gurriel signing at one point, saying this guy just came off the worst season of his career and he's like 38. But this guy's playing amazing baseball right now and he's proving that he's a great leader. Yeah, I need to jump in on that because me personally, I was very skeptical about Yuli. Even at times during this season, I thought the cliff was coming. And he continues to have performances like this almost every single week where he goes off, where he leads this team in triples on the eve of his, well, not quite the eve, a few days away from his 39th birthday. Um, yeah, pieces like that, giving them a little bit more than could have realistically been expected. That's been huge. Yeah, and then De La Cruz, a lot of people, I mean, yes, he is a streaky player still. I mean, he, he'll have some really hot streaks. His hot streaks are hot, but his lows can be low. I know, especially us here on Pitch Up First, have gotten cloud for some of our takes for or about DLC, but he's stepped up in some pretty big moments this year, too, at times. He's That's not someone that we've entirely expected, and I mean, there's just been so many unsung heroes. Jesus Sanchez has stepped up. Um, Birdie's come up with some big roles. Can't gloss over Luisa Rise, even though that was expected, but that guy's going to be the starting second baseman for the NL All-Star team. So, again, and then, of course, the bullpen. I mean, who, who would have thought? And for a while here, we've been saying that, you know, the the, the fix for the bullpen issues the Marlins have had the last couple seasons lie within the system. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that. I wasn't a huge fan of Andrew Nardi at the beginning of the season. One, kind of just to poke it out to Carver a little bit. But two, I just really <laughs> didn't think he was good. But I mean, he's really settled in. Uh, there's been a lot of guys this year that have just really settled in. Some very good, low-key acquisitions, I mean, such as A.J. Puck, of course. Uh, I mean, what a steal there. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about him and her trades here in a little bit uh, after the, the tweet from uh, what her interview on MLB Radio earlier. But there's been a lot of supporting cast members for the Marlins this year that have stepped up. And like Eli had said, 14-7 in games without Josh Chisholm, 28-20 give or take, without Sandy Alcantara. And there's just been guys in this rotation that haven't really been that good, but the bullpen has stepped up. Uh, The back in the rotation stepped up. I mean, who would have thought that it would be the beginning of June we're talking about Yadri Perez as a big piece of this rotation, and even Braxton Garrett. I mean, it is not a hot take to say to Braxton Garrett's been the best pitcher for the Marlins so far. This is your starting pitcher, that is, but... There's just been so many guys that have stepped up in different spots. If the Marlins' key guys kind of find their stride and get it together, this is a playoff contender for sure. We got Kevin here. I know Kevin was, was there Friday, was there for a few games last week. So what are your thoughts on just summarizing the, the last week? Anything that you 
kind of saw in your eyes? I mean, hmm. yes, we'd be pretty happy with how the team's played. I mean, you go in, uh, you come back home, you face Oakland, you do what you have to do, take care of business on that end. Uh, the San Diego series was a little disappointing overall. I know they walked it off in that second game, I believe. They lost the other two. You're kind of not happy where you were there. But, I mean, hey, now you're just coming in this homestand, you know, towards the back end of it. And you've got to take at least two out of three against Kansas City. You're in a really good spot. And I know we're going to talk about the Kim X stuff later, but they're in a good spot to really keep a hold or stay, you know, to take that lead over the Mets more than they already have it right now, and they really do need it because if you well, are ahead of the Mets right now, yeah, I know. I'm just saying Braves. you gotta get you gotta get a bigger lead, and you know you have the chance of surpassing the Braves. And I mean, oof, imagine Miami first the, the place Braves in that just lost their series to the A's, and the Marlins just swept the A's. I mean, it, it's a long season; it's a marathon. Teams are gonna hit hot stretches, and teams are gonna hit cold stretches. And, 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 and Miami is like a hot stretch playing, right now. Yeah, Miami's on a hot stretch. They found a good portion of the schedule where they're playing inferior opponents. Braves aren't playing so well. Mets fans will tell you their season's a disaster, even though they're at 500. But, I mean, the Phillies, I'm starting to get worried about them. Eli put out a tweet earlier, too. Like, I'm starting to get worried about the Phillies. We knew the, the Nationals weren't going to be a factor. It, and in a year where many consider the NL East just a massive Titanic division in baseball, where there's three surefire playoff teams. Through 60 games, I don't really see it. I, I see the Braves. I see the Marlins. Maybe the Mets, if they can get it together. I, I think the Marlins right now are the second-best team in the NL East. And, you know, within the next couple of weeks, we'll have to see if they become the best or not. And what's crazy is that somehow what we called unsustainable, they're somehow sustaining it. And, I mean, it's, it is impressive. And, you know, I'm looking at Twitter now, and obviously you got to give a lot of credit to Skip. Skip has really been able to <clears throat> hold this club down, keep it in place. The culture that he's building is really impressive, and I mean, obviously, it's leading to wins. And it's got to give a lot of shot, you know, a nice shout out to Skip, Skip Schumacher, and what, the work he's doing. He's he's managing the game pretty well in general. I like, I mean, besides, you know, we'll talk about that game. I don't know if you guys already did, but the Oakland game with Sandy is prob probably the best way to do it. I mean, I know he had that blow up third if he didn't have it, maybe. It would have looked a lot better to start. Obviously, would have, but just the way he had, he's managing Sandy as of late, I think it's a little bit better. As that, that's really the only concern I had, and you know, it's starting to shy away a little bit. But he's managing games while he's doing very well in game situations. I know he's playing by the matchups. We've seen it a lot with the relievers, where you already have a reliever on the mound, and then they take him out. So, yeah, I mean, props to Skip. He's doing a great job with this team, and right now, you look at run differential and Pythag record. What he's doing is is really impressive, and he's beating all. He's defining the odds, and you know the one run games. You're, you're starting to win them, and Miami's I think has the best record with you know in one run wins. So they just, just got to keep it up. I, I think it's it's sixteen and four. Had uh, had that seventh run not gotten across today, I think it would be seventeen and four. At least that was yeah, last I right. checked. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But um, the, I I love that you brought up Skip because it just flashed you back to last week when we were having our meeting, and Noah brought up. Um, that he heard on a radio, I think, that someone mentioned Skip Schumacher as dark horse candidate for NL Manager of the Year and his rookie year as a manager. I can see it. I mean, there, there's been a lot of managers that have done a good job. There's still 102 games left, but 
Skip's on a phenomenal job right now. I would probably put him at least in my top three for NL Manager of the Year. <laughs> and I and I said that Skip would be amongst one of the candidates to win it. And man, I mean, he, though if he keeps doing this and somehow Miami wins 75, 80 games, maybe even sneaks into the wild card, wouldn't surprise me if, if, if Skip is winning Manager of the Year. Well, I think if the Marlins make the playoffs he would definitely be in the conversation. I don't know if they give it to someone who doesn't make it, but right. Right. Miami's so I think all, all we're saying is that the Marlins could make the playoffs. That's what we're saying. I mean, who, who cares if skip wins this award, he's going to win the award. If they make the playoffs, if they get close to making the playoffs. And if they do either of those things, I think everybody's going to be uh, extremely satisfied. And as, as you point out, they are on that trajectory right now. And they've reached a point where not only are they on that pace, but you do look around the division and the rest of the national league. And you're like, are, are there going to be six teams that make it in over the Marlins? And now it's starting to look closer and closer to a coin flip of that. Like I would still say probably there is going to be, they're going to be on the outside looking in, but it's getting a lot harder to believe in those teams behind them because of those teams having their own flaws and their own injuries as well. And now even if those teams do get it together later later in the year, especially in the division. There are less head-to-head matchups with the Marlins remaining for them to make up ground that way. And we're still in this point of the season where the Marlins are facing the teams that are way behind them, and including a couple that might be out of this race already. So it's just such a prime opportunity to continue to build up this advantage because it is going to get more difficult. Uh, I, I don't think there are going to be a ton of series sweeps coming for them during the month of June after this Royal series, potentially this is, this is really the Nationals are on that schedule though. Maybe you get one in DC. But, mm, you sure? No, I'm, I, well, I'm certainly not sure. So. I, I'm just saying in this moment, things are looking really bright, especially Sandy is going to be the most important player in this because we will probably talk about it a little bit more with this starting rotation. The rotation has underachieved as a whole, and the most important thing is that Sandy stays healthy and that Sandy, during the rest of the year, his final 19 starts or so, pitches close to his career norms and not his five ERA season performance this year. And even though today, you know, that ERA went up, I, I think you'd have to say there's a whole lot more positive than negative about this start in particular. Um, that gives you hope moving forward that he's going to be a real impact guy moving forward, that he's going to figure out the issues he had deeper into games. This being one of those few starts this year where late in the game, he was sharp. He didn't fade late in the game. He had that hiccup in the middle and then the way that he recovered. Um, that's super inspiring. This offense, when they're not facing the A's, there's still some limitations here. They're going to need the, the rotation to pick it up. And with Sandy, um, I'm still mildly optimistic about him. The way that Trevor has looked on his rehab assignment now, I think it's nine scoreless innings over the course of his two outings. Maybe just one more rehab starts to go. Um, if that rotation once again becomes the strength of the team that it was supposed to be initially, uh, then people can dream. Then you can really dream about this team making it all the, well, not all the way, making it beyond September. kind of led into it so we can get to the, the bad part here and talk about the rotation struggle specifically Sandy Alcantara or we can talk about the, the news today the hint being dropped that uh, the Marlins could be looking to start 
some trades to start looking at some potential options. Do, do we want to get to touch a little bit more on uh, the rotation struggles? Let's go into the rotation. I think it's worth it. So today was disappointing. I didn't really buy into. Um, I didn't really buy into this Sandy Alcantara wash. Is, is he, does he have any actual concerns right now? I wasn't a huge believer in that until today against this Oakland Athletics squad. I get that Ramon Laureano is one of the only good baseball players in Oakland right now, but still, that's pretty pathetic. And something that Eli had pointed out to me earlier was just how much earlier in these starts that Sandy is starting to get hit, and that's quite concerning, especially today in the third inning. Usually Sandy will at least get through the order once or twice, and it's been on the third rotation recently that he's kind of gotten blasted, but... It's starting to get a little concerning outside of the Chicago start and the complete game shutout against Minnesota. It just hasn't been great for him. And none of us can really seem to pinpoint what the problem might be. So uh, no clue. What are your guys' thoughts? Today, it definitely looked like it was, you know, I think Lewis mentioned this on our chat today. It was the, he mentioned about Sandy having issues holding, keeping runners on base. And that was the big issue today. We saw it. And uh, he had the, um, the pitch violation twice. I know one got overturned, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, <clears throat> but that definitely was something that got to him. And well, eventually, they scored five runs. So it's it's really tough to pinpoint it. The velo didn't look like an issue today, to be honest. Uh, I know he made a really bad O2 pitch, if I'm correct. Uh, besides that, it's just like the league's adjusted to him. They know what he wants. The shift, the band, the shift, I guess you could say, has hurt him a little bit. Um, it's just tough. It's tough to see him struggle like this because we know we've seen Sandy be really damn good. He did it against a pretty good Minnesota team. I mean, there's no other way to put it. So I think it's just, the you know, not being able to hold runners on base, at least from what I saw today. I, I guess Lewis, Lewis was there. He would definitely have a more detailed answer on what he saw. And I know he's going to mention not being able to hold runners on base. So I'm gonna, I'll steal that one from him this time. Lucy called on. Yeah, um, you know, Eli kind of noted it. He had a tweet that was really interesting. He talked about how I think Sandy's fit for the day was like something like one twenty nine. So it was really, it was really that third inning. And I and at the whole press box, kind of, there was like this dead silence amid the chorus of boos that the twelve thousand or so fans kind of poured upon Sandy, you know, he's standing on the mound after he throws that ball away. And what was really a disaster sending. But other than that, I believe he had, like, retired the side in order and, like, just about every other. End. So, yeah, look, it is bad that he's getting hit earlier. And I genuinely will say that the concern that I and maybe a lot of other people had at in the middle of that third inning was the with Sandy was the most amplified was in that moment and it was it was concerning like because you know it's one thing if you have a couple of you know hiccups here and there to start a season you know there's a myriad of factors that influence it but even Skip noted post game that he doesn't know what went wrong in that inning whether it's you know and he didn't I mean, want to substantiate he said anything in regards to injury but whether it was pitch tipping or it was just location not being great in that inning he doesn't know but then when you assess it on a full season scale you you're, you still don't know because there's just a multitude of things that have hurt him 
And in this inning, I mean, I definitely think beyond him not being able to hold base runners, he does have, it does look like he's not the most proficient when it comes to fielding ground balls and, you know, covering the base and all that. And I mean, one of those plays in the third inning was Arise not being there to cover on a ground ball hit to to the right uh, that Yuli caught. He was playing a little back. So that maybe hurt him. And, you know, that maybe just gets back to what Kev was saying about the defense and the shift not, you know, benefiting him. And when you're a guy like him who doesn't strike out everybody, it's, you know, more balls in play are going to create more runs. And I think that's what we're seeing. But again, it, we've been saying this ever since maybe his fourth or fifth start. His underlying metrics suggest he's been a lot better than the five plus ERA suggests. And I, I mean, like, if you, you know, when Skip is even saying in the second, after the first two innings, he's like, this guy's going to throw Maddox. He's going to throw a complete game and like under 90 pitches. And then as soon as Jace Peterson hit that single, he smoked it off the bat. Um, you know, the A's just resorted to playing some small ball that played some inside baseball and they got to him. And those are, I think, the crux, the cruxes of like Sandy's games, the inability to hold the runners, the, the way he doesn't strike guys out that you would expect most power pitchers to. And it's, you know, the, the defense on his own part has been a lot of what has, ate, has hurt him. Well, thank you for Devin for bringing this up in the comments about the catching of Sandy, the fact that Stallings continues to be his exclusive catcher. They're now going on about 45 straight starts, dating back to last year together. I called for this on the podcast, I think two weeks ago. It's just inexplicable why that continues to be such a unflexible marriage, why they have to be paired with each other. Because it's clear that the base running is getting into Sandy's head. It was an issue last year that he was able to overcome with good defense behind him, with timely double plays. And this year, it hasn't been as fortunate with that. And that base running has kind of snowballed on top of him. It has made things a lot more difficult and kind of led to him underperforming his peripherals because there's all these base runners on and because especially with the new rules, he has resigned to the fact that if anybody gets on first, they're going to get on second. There's a decent chance they're going to get on third immediately because of a bad throw or because Stallings isn't receiving balls as well as he was even last year. I think Fortes should be there. If not every Sandy start, then at least the majority of them, because he's, he's a better player. You're pitching with less stress. If you have more run supports and the fact that Fortes could provide more of that Sandy for the most part this year, this is an exception for the most part this year. He hasn't been getting much run support at all. And it's hard to say one year to the next last year. Of course he dealt with that just fine. He had some really awesome outings where he had no margin for error, but ideally you want to give him a chance to win. And the fact that they're playing Stallings as much as they are um, for no particular reason, other than who he used to be, I think that's holding the team back, and I'd, l- I'd love to just see them test it with Fortes and see how they respond, see how Fortes calls the pitches. I don't think call- the, the pitch calling was a big issue in this particular game. It just continues to, um, at this stage, it's hard to really defend the fact that they are playing their inferior catcher every time that Sandy takes the mound, and they're not really doing him any favors. For a guy that is, as much as anything, being kind of being handicapped by this base running situation, give the guy that has a slightly better chance at throwing out runners and then see what happens from there. I also saw a stat, I think it said dating back to last year, I think Sandy Alcantara has allowed the most, the second most stolen bases 
I don't think I would credit that too much to him. I think it's just how slow Jacob Stallings is at getting off and, and getting the ball a second. It's it's like watching a tortoise start up and try and uh, get ready to walk. It, it is pretty depressing. And, uh, I mean, Sandy does have a pretty long extension, but I can't really fault him too much for that. But it's just not a good combo. And I, I do think that entertaining a switch at some point is probably necessary, especially one within the next month, month and a half. Kim Meng is really serious as she is about getting ready to start these straight talks already. Miami might have a, another catcher to replace Mr. Stalling. So we want to go into that. And uh, the rumor mill already heating up here at the, the beginning of June. You know I love it, so let's do it. We did so many spaces last July when I first became a member here about just the trade deadline. Big fan of the trade deadline. And uh, it, this is a, the most important one for the Marlins in a very long time um, because of just the, the nature of the team right now. They're kind of in do-or-die mode where the Marlins are in a weird spot where the farm system isn't nearly as great as you'd want it to be where you're just like, okay, if the team fails at the major league level, they're fine. We got replacements down below. But the, the talent at the major league level is also not good enough to the point where it's like, okay, the farm isn't good, then we're going to be all right. We're going to compete for the next few years up here. The Marlins are in a very weird spot where they need to push all the chips forward and say, all right, let's go get a few more bats, go get another pitcher, something like that, and get ready to uh, be able to compete or blow it up. And let's just say this, with Kim Ng having one year left on her contract, it would not be wise to blow it up. I am under the belief that if the Marlins do decide to uh, go under a rebuild, which I don't think will happen anytime soon, given the circumstances the team's in, um, that Kim Ng would lead that. So with there being one year left on her deal, this being maybe her biggest trade deadline yet, not even maybe, yes, it, this is her biggest trade deadline, it's time to push all the chips forward to the middle of the table and go all in. So there's not a lot of teams that are really all the way out of it already. Everyone in the NL, for the most part, is in it. Really, in the American League, you've got the A's, the White Sox, the Royals. I mean, you could maybe say the the Nationals are out of it over in the National League. I know the Cardinals have the worst record in the National League, but they're in a weird spot. I don't know. If only we had a St. Louis-based writer here to help us with that. But, um, yeah, it's um, the Marlins are in a weird spot. So we talked a little bit about um, a catcher name a few weeks ago on stream. It was right before the Rockies series when we talked about a Rockies catcher, Alex Diaz, who uh, mm-hmm. his splits away from cores aren't great, but what he's been doing this season, he would be a very nice buy-low option. You wouldn't really have to give up anyone that great for him for just this, this next half of the season. He would be a nice option. Um, I've seen a lot of people discuss Tim Anderson and a lot of those White Sox names. They do have some great names, but uh, Tim Anderson's not playing that well at the plate this year. And defensively, he's a liability. I know Lewis is not a big fan of Tim Anderson. Not at all. But I want to mention... Who else? Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that the only White Sox I would probably want to mention here is, is Yasmani Grandal if you, if you want to bring a catcher in. He's having his best season as a White Sox. Um, he has one year left on his deal. You may as well take a chance on it. Uh, I don't know what the money would ensue in this case, but, I mean, the catcher market's pretty dry outside of Diaz, and you don't even know if the Rockies retain him because they're, they're known for doing that, and I know it's a different case with a position player than a pitcher, but 
you don't know what will happen. Following Perez, I feel like will not be traded. So I just want to shut that one down. I want to shut that one down right now. If you continue to mention Salvador Perez as a trade target, no offense, but that guy's royal for life. I would be shocked. I would be stunned if they traded him. And it would really, have to be aside a from fast that, package, I feel like. exactly. No, not even that. It's just like the fact it would mean that he no longer wants to be there, and I and I don't think that's the case. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's their guy. That's I think that might be the last member left from that World Series team. Yeah, and I mean, who I, I I can't think. Jan Gomes, guys. I was I Jan Gomes. Yeah, I looked at that name the other day. I wrote it down. I was writing an article. I was like, I'll, I'll throw in Jan Gomes, and then I took it off, and I was like, Ugh. he'd be a cheap option given age and the fact that he's owed salary. So if the Marlins want to take on the remaining share of that salary. Prospect. You underwater? No. No, you're good. You're good. Your audience. Really good. You're good. The Marlins would have to give up a lower level prospect if you want to commit to taking on the salary of a guy like Gomes, who, again, he's a short term fix. You still have to address the catching margin in the offseason. But he's a guy who is an okay hitter. He's about a below average hitter, but by catching standards, he's, you know, what you kind of want. It would definitely be an upgrade for Miami, um, a veteran that can work with. Fortes, maybe, though Fortes has been, you know, a great defensive catch. Agreed. Last year, um, I think any offense you get from Stallings, I think, is a plus. Just at the position, and he's hit better of late. But, yeah, long term, I mean, like, the, the relationship with Sandy, not that it's broken. I don't think they don't get along. But just performance-wise, you need to switch it up if things aren't working. And it doesn't seem like they have been between the two of them for, you know, majority of the season. Yeah, and let's just say this: if the Marlins do get a second catcher, Fortes, I think would be the one that stays up, unless they really want to please Sandy that bad. But Stallings was DFA candidate at the beginning of the season. We all made a short list of, I think, of like three players we said that we would think would get DFA'd at some point during the season. Stallings was on a lot of our lists. He would be a pretty cheap option to do so. I mean, great guy, but he's just not playing good baseball right now. It's, it's a lost cause, and there's just not really a feasible option within the system. The catcher is, I think, at the very, very top of the Marlins' needs list. If I have time throughout the week, I'll, I'll write a, maybe a Marlins trade wish list, um, brainstorm some guys. Again, there's just not a lot of teams that are clear sellers right now, so it's really tough. The teams that are clear sellers, they, don't, they just don't have a lot of talent besides maybe the White Sox. And even then, like Kevin said, there's maybe one player you'd consider. I wouldn't be bad if the Marlins went out and got Luis Robert, but I feel like that price tag might be a little hefty, especially with the season he's been having. His savant page is mostly blue as well. So, I mean, there's other options. I think as we get closer to that July 31st deadline, is it the 31st this year? Is it like the beginning of August again? I think off the top of my head, it's actually the beginning of August. They're August 1st. It was like August the second 2nd. last year. It's, it's been getting pushed back like a day or two every single Right. They made that, well, they made that official either last year or the year before. They made August that official 1st. to reflect the fact that you know, the playoffs have expanded. So it takes teams a couple extra days. It could actually be valuable for those teams trying to decide a direction considering how many playoff spots are now available. Because of the later start to the season. But I guess that makes sense. Yeah, Sean is saying in a comment that it's August 1st this yeah, year. Yeah, August 1st at 6 p.m. August 1st, 6 p.m. That's a little late this year. That is a little like, late, yeah. Yeah, insane. and of course, you always get trades after the deadline, so we'll, we'll definitely do a spaces for that. I mean, we did last year, we did a deadline special. We had, like, 500 listeners at, like, 350, right, when the Pablo 
Um, Glaber Torres rumors were ramping up. That was quite the time to be alive. But um, yeah, still so far away from that though. And the one thing I'll add on, and the one thing I'll add with this is like, it's hard right now to say exact names because something that Kim mentioned, and I think it was on that radio show she was on or podcast, whatever it is. And then I think Eli pinned it as one of the tweets is like, there's no real clear teams that are going to buy and sell. I mean, right now, the clear seller would be the scraps left in Oakland, maybe Chicago and Kansas City. Uh, I really, I can't recall. Yeah, and the one going to get desperate enough to go trade for either one of Brent Rucker or Ramon Lariato. There aren't any other really, really good trade candidates out of Oakland, unless maybe someone wants Langlers, maybe. But here's the other thing about the, the other team. That's, yeah, that's really here's the thing it. about the catcher market too is the catcher position offensively is pretty weak right now, and uh, there's just not many long term options or any like good control guys that are really good offensive catchers. I mean the Marlins again. I've, I've said it a lot recently. They were rumored to be in trade talks for Sean Murphy this past off season. They were. That would be really nice to have right now. He's probably top three catcher called baseball at the plate. But uh, outside of him and Adley and a few other guys, there's just, there really isn't a lot. And none of those guys are going to go get traded. Uh, it's just the, the tough nature of it. Right. But, outside of that, you need to be creative and actually look to the upper minors and catchers that are blocked yeah. in other organizations. And our YouTube, we're simulcasting this on YouTube, and T.P. Joseph brings up, uh, among others, Corey Lee of the Astros, who – was really he was a top 100 prospect in some regards last year and he's kind of blocked in Houston even though he's, he's doing all right at AAA um, for his minor league career overall he's been an above average hitter and while also sticking at the catcher position let me just make sure he's still playing catcher full-time this year at AAA so he, he's ready he's 24 years old and that's the issue with this Marlon scene the reason why Stallings is safe for the foreseeable future is because internally we don't love any of their immediate options. So the question is, do they have guys? Um, yeah, is being was setting casting a really wide net at that position across the league, even guys that haven't done much in the majors to this point. I'll mention another one and not much of an upper minor's got double A Austin Wells of the Yankees. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's another. That's the only other name. I, I got again. I got to look into the minor league system of these other teams. But this is a name I would like to have. You, maybe, you would maybe we can do that tomorrow morning or something. It was just take a really deep dive because I I can't think of many other guys besides maybe Jan Gomes, Elias Diaz, Shea Langlers. Like that, that's it. Really, not even Langlers has been good. He's hitting like two fifteen WRC plus way under. Yeah, you, you would have to buy pretty low on that. Then again, the Marlins wouldn't really have to give up much for any of these guys, I don't think. If well, no, with, with, is, Grandal, with Grandal, it's, it's about the money. What do you right, do there? Yeah, the I guys don't know getting the Marlins take that on, unless the White Sox are willing to pay to get for that salary. Maybe you do give up a little bit more if the White Sox are able to take on a little bit of that. It's not a bad idea, actually, but then again, you can find cheaper options and have to give up less. But like, if a catcher is their big trade line, acquisition if that's their headliner that would be pretty depressing but i think that's definitely high on their wish list it's just the nature of the position right now is there's a lot of good defensive catchers right now some guys that call pretty good games but offensively it's it's not very good right now and plain and simple and then moving away from catcher i mean and let me just start by saying this i think shortstop's a need 
But you have Jacob of mine, the minor leagues, who is absolutely raking right now. And mm-hmm. he's perfect cue with Alex joining. But the guy is raking. He, he mentioned the slow start, and he says, you know, he's someone who starts a little bit slow. But this guy in the month of May was hitting almost 400. He was putting up, like, Luis Arias-type numbers plus the power. He's ready. I'll, I'll keep it like that. He's ready, I think. Miami needs to give him a chance because Joey Wendell, despite I know how to good game yesterday, did something today. Besides that, Joey Wendell's been pretty bad. There's just no other way to say it. And I know the defense was is something that Wendell has that he's kind of the only positive right now. But besides that, Jacob Amaya is killing it in the minor mm-hmm. leagues. And I don't, there's real no real need to keep him down there anymore. He doesn't have much to prove. Uh, yeah, he has the bat, the power. Simple. He has the defense. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. It makes and sense, but... Simple Go roster ahead. move you could make to get him up is send down Jonathan Davis. I mean, outside of course field, this guy hasn't done anything. He had a really nice first three games in the majors, but uh, I think his time's already up. Yeah. That, that would leave you an outfielder short. Him, him and Hampson both. Yeah, I think, yeah, either one of them. And Hampson had a, a nice stretch there at the end of April. He balled out in that Cleveland series, balled out in uh, some, some other time late in April, I forget, but... Yeah, I think these guys' um, honeymoon phases are over, and uh, it's time to see what else you got. Because call up Amaya with a month, month and a half to the trade deadline, see what you got at shortstop. If he's good, all right, you don't have to go trade for one. Jacob Amaya could be the deciding factor on if the Marlins do decide to push in all the chips and go for Tim Anderson, which I don't advise that that would be a great move unless they really think he can turn it around or get him on a bargain. But uh, his numbers have not been great this year. It, I know he's a good name, or a big name, rather, uh, because of just what he's done in the past. But he hasn't been good this year. He's he's part of the reason why the White Sox haven't been good. He's hitting worse than Wendell is. He's hitting worse than Wendell is this season. All right? All right? So so to the people out there, don't entertain him as too big of an option unless the Barons can really get him on a budget, which I don't think that will happen. I believe that some team is going to overpay for Tim Anderson this deadline. I think it will happen. I mean, I don't think a team's going to even want to trade for such a bad bat right now. At least. I think someone could get desperate enough just with how tight the playoff race is going to get. We we saw some bad trades last deadline. We saw some desperation heaves. Especially it's not even like the hey, he's, he's, he has a two sixty average, but after that, it's like pretty bad. Well, all, all there's a reason why the trades happen when they do so close to the deadline because established players like that. Uh, the White Sox aren't in a hurry to trade them unless they fade clearly out of the playoff mix and he kind of returns to somewhere close to his career norms where they're actually going to get something substantial in return. He has a year of control beyond this year. That's why he seems to have a pretty wide appeal. Um, yeah, in all seriousness, I, I think he'd be a significant upgrade for this team. It's just you're not going to be able to make that upgrade right now. You have to figure out what you're going to do at that position for the next month and a half at least because that's how long it's going to take for him to conceivably be moved. Um, yeah, and that's a, that's a lot of the season. That's almost a quarter of the season between now and then where they have to focus on winning games, and then you can make those splashy additions. Right, and that's why you got to bring up guys like Amaya now and see what other shortstops you got. Xavier, that's literally, no, that's, that's a, it's Amaya. Yeah. We, we want to see Amaya. The guy's been torching it over the last couple weeks. They, I mean, they traded Miguel Rojas for a younger version of himself with more pop. The, the guy needs to put on a Marlins uniform at some point. And uh, I'll be pumped to see it happen. Any other yeah. trade 
candidates you guys want to bring up before we get to the listener part, which I'm sure is going to be fun. This is the most requests we've had in a while. This is the most listeners we've had in a while. Thank you guys for uh, coming out, especially through the transition. I feel like a lot of times on Sunday nights we'll maybe have like 15, 20 people listening. This is a pretty nice crowd tonight, so uh, thank you guys. Um, you can tell Marlon's fevers in the air, and we'll get to all your questions. But uh, first, I want to pitch it because we do have a decent amount of requests. Consider becoming a super subscriber. It is the best deal out there on Marlon's Twitter. Uh, we, we've always mentioned it during these spaces because if you are a super subscriber, you get first priority access to speak in these spaces. I know we've changed up the way we're doing it a little bit with uh, with the transition we made. So I'll let Eli take it from here just so I get the memo so that way I don't mess up in the future pitching this. Yes. Instead of doing it here on Twitter to subscribe, you just do it on our website, fishonfirst.com. At the very top of the page, it says become a super subscriber. And then when you click there, it brings you to the sign up page. So it does include priority to speak on these spaces. The series predictions we do prior to every series are included in we track those predictions for you throughout the entire year. Compete alongside us in that. You get daily game notes for every single game, catching you up on what the Marlins are doing, as well as looking ahead the next few days. That's every single day for you guys. The GIF database, that is all yours. Hundreds and hundreds of GIFs that we're adding to every single week throughout the year to save and use for yourself. That's part of this subscription as well. And I guess the biggest thing is when we do super subscriber only giveaways, as we have another one coming up very soon, another another ticket giveaway coming up at after that'll be for the next Marlins homestands. And we just limit the field to those that support us for three dollars a month. That is it. It starts at that much. You could even go higher if you really appreciate what we do. But that's on our website, fishonfirst.com. Become a super subscriber. And then we appreciate everybody that supports us over there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Absolutely. Very, very pumped about this transition. Finally gotten going this week. Um, one of our good friends here, the f- friend of the franchise here, um, Alex Carver, Fish on the Farm. He's got his hand up before we, we bring in Romeo, who's our very first super subscriber on the new account. Uh, what, what do you got for us, Alex, real quick? Oh, I just wanted to recapitulate what you guys had said uh, about Amaya, and I know Isaac will like will like me speaking about Amaya. But month of May, three sixty eight, four forty three, six fifty eight with five home runs. Uh, I mean, Kevin said it. That, that there, there's no other reason to hold this guy down, especially with the struggles that they're having at shortstop. He can play multiple positions if he needs to. Like, there's there's really no other reason to to hold that guy in AAA. And what I will say for all of you guys, Grant, is that Kevin can probably um can probably corroborate what i'm going to say but some of his home runs have been pretty lucky um yeah. they have a very short fortune in right field some of his home runs have gone that way but he's also gone you know to the pull side of the ball so this is a guy that, that's good um he could definitely impact the ball when he needs to probably some of his home runs i would say at least three of them in the month of may would probably be 
doubles maybe or maybe even caught at the track in Lone Depot Park. But still, uh, this guy's done plenty more than enough. Barely strikes out, walks. He's pretty good against AAA pitching. You got to get that guy up. That's all I got for now. Yeah, that's the one thing I want to have. You look at the amount of homers. Some of those are pretty not real homers. Not that short porch in the right field and at a one-to-one financial ballpark is I'm pretty sure anyone here could hit a home run in that porch. I, I just I just failed to see the situation where they would actually do that and bench Joey Wendell or John Bird. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I obviously Jacob and I would be the person you'd play over those guys, but. I don't know. I think they respect their veterans, and Birdie and Amon- and Wendell have been very valuable in years past for them. And I, I hope that they would do this, but I just don't see it. Especially since Wendell's he's lefty. Got to them. Perfect time to trade him. Perfect it, time to trade him. It's a, it's what I wish they would have done last year with Rojas and Wendell. Amai would be the perfect platoon guy to complement Wendell. But then, what do you do with Birdie? He doesn't get as much playing time, especially when Jazz gets back. Not really any and obvious. Well, what's, what's wrong with trading? What's wrong with trading Wendell while he still has some value? At least what are you going to get for Wendell? You get well, probably not much, but, but you can get something. I mean, he still has some value. He's a borderline negative asset at this point. They can get anything. Anyways, let, let's get to the fan questions here. We we want to get in in time before the heat game. We are aware of that. that's why we started a half hour early. So I, I know some of you guys noticed that we had a schedule for seven o'clock. Moved it up a half hour, especially with. Today, Sandy struggles figure that would be a, a good topic of conversation. We got 40 minutes till the heat game gets on. Then the majority of you guys will be watching that. We got Romeo in here. He has first priority because he is a super subscriber. He is the very first one on the Hey, hey, hey. I want to put in an executive order here where both him and Ryan are super subscribers. And Romeo always seems to go first. My suggestion, we just switch it up and go to Ryan first. That's- All right, well. We'll bring, we'll bring them both in. Let's get Ryan's questions in, and then we'll go for the Justin Lawrence report after. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Romeo. No, Ryan asked really I haven't done any research. This kid knows his stuff. Big fan of, of what Ryan does. So, Ryan, what do you got for us tonight? Yeah, thanks for the introduction. Hope you guys are doing well. Just wanted to ask, um, with this, I don't know why I wasn't on this. My phone died, so I missed some of this, but I've been on for most of this. So I was just wondering, what do you guys think of Garrett Cooper? Because a lot of people on Twitter have been trashing him, uh, saying that, you know, he needs to be benched and Joe and uh, Yui Gurriel needs to clearly get more playing time than him and not kind of just splitting time or splitting starts at first base and some playing DH. But I don't really think Cooper's been bad. I mean, his batting average is not what it was last year during the first half, but he still had some clutch hits. Had a clutch three-run homer today that barely got over and barely stayed fair. But uh, what do you guys think about him? Who's now hitting, I think, just under two forty. Not terrible. Not good. Not good. Not great. It's kind of just average, but still producing. Yeah. I, I kind of was part of the. I wouldn't say thrashing, but I did put out a tweet. I think exactly a week ago. It was a, a guess who tweet uh, that said, "Who would you rather have?" And it was to Marlins first baseman stats. One was considerably better than the other, and the one that was considerably better than the other was Yuli Gurriel over Garrett Cooper, but Cooper's due for one of his signature hot streaks at some point this year, but if Yuli Gurriel keeps this play up, you can't exactly bench him. I mean, he's a really valuable asset to a team that kind of needs a spark. He's been part of championship teams. He knows what it's like to get through a 162-game grind, which no one on the Marlins really knows that besides maybe Solaire 
maybe our eyes to have seen postseason play. But yeah, I mean, back to Cooper. Um, I think he's due for one of his signature hot streaks at, at some point. But um, his time's coming to an end on his contract, and he's been in trade rumors the last few off seasons. I think the Marlins should maybe try and capitalize on that this year. But uh, I, I think he could pick it up for sure. I know Eli's one of the, the bigger Garrett Cooper defenders, so um, I'll, I'll let him speak on it. Right. I would still confidently anticipate that Cooper is going to be the more productive player the rest of this season than Gurriel. It's just going to be a lot closer than I anticipated. I mean, the fact that he almost went on, on the IL again with an inner ear infection, just poor guy, more so than anything else. I just feel so bad that, his, his body betrays him again and again and again. He's five years younger than Yuli, almost six years, five and a half years younger than Yuli. And yet, I mean, Yuli is the better athlete. And he's the one with, we even saw today. Like today was almost the best encapsulation of Yuli being younger than his years. With the triple, defensively, he had one where he leapt into the air to like get, grab a ball and he was able to get back down and on the bag in time. Um, he has really pleasantly surprised me. I, I think what they have is pretty terrific. If you look at this point in the season, they have almost identical playing time in terms of plate appearances. I, I did not foresee that happening, but I think that's I think they could just stick with the, what that is. Cooper is going to be a better hitter moving forward than he was entering today's game. That I am fully confident in. Um, and Yuli, I don't know if he's going to hit quite as well moving forward as he has to this point, but he's going to add value with his defense. And and his base running apparently, especially compared to Cooper, I think they just have a decent thing going there. It's not ideal at first base. At first, ideally, you want more over the fence power. And with both of those guys, it feels like half of their home runs have been just barely over the wall. So moving forward with this organization in 2024, you, I think it's going to be yet another position that they may have to go outside the organization to address to get a more conventional power hitting first baseman. But in the meantime, I, I think that has been a decent combination. I, yeah, I'm not too worried about that. That's been an, an interesting pairing. It's hard to look around the league and see any other team that is patched together first base like the Marlins have. Something I want to mention, and I think we all know this, is Cooper's on the final year of his deal. So, I mean, obviously, when we're looking to trade that line, that's something that we have to look at. That goes to Cooper, that goes to Wendell as well. So, and I know Wendell's been under performing. And as Isaac said, I mean, what value does he have? He must have something, but not much. But with Cooper, we just have to see how it goes. I know last year, the all-star season, you know, and looking back, maybe it wasn't the most deserving one. No offense to him, but um, you look at it, you just got you to let it ride. And what Eli said, I mean, they, they, you know, what they've got going right now with Cooper and Yuli is, is pretty good. No real complaints. And a lot of Yuli's success, I want to say it comes off of him, you know, being a you know, kind of a backup first baseman platooning with Coop, and that's probably what it should stay as, and if it's having success, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and I think that's the case, and I think, you know, Grant said it, Cooper's going to get it going, and I think he will. I truly do think Cooper will get it going soon enough. He's been, he, I think he got off to a pretty good start, then he kind of slowed down, and it's just been, like, really up and down ever since, so... I mean, if today was a good indicator of what Coop could do moving forward, you're, you feel pretty good where you're at. For Eli and Kevin, I think it's safe to say that they made the right call with Yuli instead of Iglesias when that conversation was happening in spring training, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if yeah. Kevin will uh, admit to that one yet. <laughs> like, go on. No, that's... no, no, I will, I will, because I was very excited when they signed both, and you guys know me. I was very excited. I know Eli's always been the Yuli hater, and 
continues to be. No offense, Eli. I love you. The Yuli hater. He's been hating on Yuli this whole year. Let's be honest. I know, I know, I know. He still, and he still is. And I, and I think Eli's yes. wrong. It's just, it's really hard to be a decent first baseman if you have no power. He's three home runs this year, and one of them is an inside the park home run, and then the other one just went over the wall. And I think the third one was the Coors Fields home run. And it's, it's really hard to be a productive first but baseman like that. that. He is Yuli Mickey Mouse. Really, yeah. In the same in the same light though, Eli, we were talking about putting Arias at first base. So so come on, like <laughs> he's been okay. Like right. th- this guy's actually, I was actually not the hugest fan of of, of either of the these hugest. these signings, Segura and him, yeah. or or Iglesias. I was like, okay, get him on a minor league deal. Whatever happens, happens. But like these guys that are at this point in their career, I'm just kind of like, all right, you know, we'll see what you get. This guy's been good though. He's played like right at his career norms. Doing exactly what he's always done. Yeah, it's hard to be anything but pleased about about Guriel, especially what, like I said, we were considering putting Arias uh, at first base if they didn't move Jazz to center field. So uh, it, it's okay. Yeah, but, it's not like uh, Cooper's going to give you much more power either. I mean, the, the, I, mean, get, yes. I mean, not Yuli Cooper. Cooper hasn't even reached ten homers in his career. Only once in 2019, first year, yeah. uh, second year with the team. Yeah. So, well, what what Carver touched on is the fact that Yuli is playing pretty close to his career norms, and that's usually something you don't anticipate from somebody. At his age, simple as that. So the fact that he's doing that is really pleasantly surprising. All right, Ryan, any other questions? Yeah, one more question before uh, Romeo gets to speak. And a thing that I was thinking about today, this morning, before the game started, uh, which is the DFA situation, just roster construction, because that's been kind of a trend this whole year. It's uh, not maybe as much as some other teams are in previous years, but, you know, they've had to DFA some guys and figure out who's going down to the minors, who's coming up. And uh, But, you know, I was just thinking, I haven't really seen Darren Hampson getting as much starts as he did uh, when he first got called up. He's still on the major league roster. Uh, but, you know, they preferably been playing Davis in center field instead of Hampson. Uh, it's a short span for Davis, and we don't know if he's actually going to keep up uh, this, you guys think that the Marlins uh, long term will keep up Jonathan Davis and uh, also uh, kind of making it a two part question how long until Garrett Hampson does end up getting DSA because it feels like Skip just kind of benched him like kind of suddenly uh, once the yeah, comes back one of the two will sure. go down I don't know who though I mean I think Davis has shown he could play everywhere in the outfield and right now they have Birdie and Wendell back, so you kind of lose Hampson kind of we always expect to see him lose playing time. And I think when Jazz does come back it'll be Hampson. Or yeah. even Avi Wadi's on a setback now, but you know. I mean if I can have my way, I I would send both Davis and Hampson down right now. Outside of his first few games that Davis was up, he hasn't done anything really. So um but Hampson's been far worse over that. I think year. Davis had a double today. He had a solid had a double. double. I remember that. He had a career high. He got one double. He got one double. He had a career high three RBI yesterday. And I think that that when Jazz does come back, it will be either Hampson or Davis. And I assume solely because they traded someone of, you know, limited relevance, but still they traded someone for this player, they will, uh, Hampson would be the one that they get to That's a good point. And to clarify, Hampson does have a minor league option, so they could send it It's very easy to Oh my god, I cannot tell. <laughs> it would just be a simple send him to Jacksonville. Exactly. And yeah, they like Davis. He, he does play a decent center field, whatever. He, he 
he's not, you know. He hasn't been bad. Jasmine's not coming. Yeah. He's I don't think three, three RBI yesterday in a 12 1 win. That's something. Yeah, I mean, is it sustainable? Probably not, but right now he's kind of ride the hot wave. If he starts putting up some good numbers outside of course field, I, I'll believe. But he wasn't even bad, Grant, during the whole road trip. He was pretty uh, good after course field. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. Outside of course field, he's hitting like 130. Yeah, For know, Anthem, it's, it's, it's a 230, 239 average. And what is his OPS? 239 average and OPS around 750 with a 323 Babbitt. Yeah, he, he can go. Well, what, what has he done in the month of May? I guarantee you what's contributed to that OPS has been in April, too. Like, I'm, what are his May splits? I'm curious now. I'm pulling it up right now. I would love to know. It's probably going to be in a screen. Is this Davis hater? Wait, Davis or? You, no, I mean, I mean Hampson. I mean Hampson, no. If I could have my way, I would send them both down. But uh, I think Hampson should be the one out of two. Hampson, the month of May. Didn't Fish on Seuss? First recently tweet out that Hampson has been quietly very, very, very underwhelming the last couple of weeks uh, or something. I'm trying to remember when I sent that out, but yeah, yeah, I think with him, he just has not been as good. This has not been surprising at all. He's just back to the player that he was with the Rockies when the Rockies decided to like let him go at the end of last year. The Rockies of all teams is I don't let him go because he's just not a good offensive player and he's a versatile defensive player, but even the quality of that defense at those spots isn't great either. So with him, um, I think he could have value later in this year, you simply send him down in the meantime. So a big question is going to be whether Jazz is back on the roster by the time we do the next spaces. He is saying that he wants to be back on the roster next week. He continues to say that. He said that yesterday that, again, his target return date is next weekend in Chicago. I, I, I'll believe it when I see it. I think he's a little further behind than that. He is, as far as I know, still in that walking boot. He was yesterday. I'm not entirely sure if he was today. But once he does come back, relatively soon barring a setback I, I think hampson is that's that's the easiest move i don't think they need to do anything dramatic they just send hampson down and continue rolling with the guys that they currently have outside of that of course, i always, I always hope for everyone's health as well but the obvious setback kind of helps them a little bit because once he's ready to come up they kind of have a, a problem to deal with a little bit yeah i mean but they'll, they'll get there when they like, get there we even mention Avi Garcia's like because I know Craig said it that they don't mind eating the money. Do they eat the money? They do mind eating the money, Kevin. Of course they mind eating the money. I don't think that I don't, I don't know. About competing, if Miami at this point you might right now, want if Miami the contract with your If Miami continues to win the guys in DLC and Sanchez keep doing what they're doing, I don't know. There's no real spot for Avi and Jonathan Davis and whatever other outfielders they have. All right, Romeo, what, what do we got? Move along here. we only got about a half hour left. I want to get to as many people as we can. I cannot see in a moment. Hello? He's saying that he can't speak. I think he has too much background stuff going on right now. All right, we'll, we'll get back to you. Sean's requested. Sean's a, a super subscriber. But uh, you'll bring him in. Anyone else that's requested right now, we'll, we'll get to you. $3 a month. It's all costs. Yeah, we did get one new super subscriber during this show already. And oh I think I think a second one at the start of the show. That was technically before the show. But at least one of them got a credit to you. There we go. There we go. I, 
I've been on a cold streak recently. When we first started this, I got like three new ones in like our first two shows. I was on fire. Sean, post some Marlins up dark. What do we got today? Hey guys, I got two questions. Um, first one, I just I mentioned this in the chat. I I remember reading this week. I think it, I think it was in Glenn Guff, in Glenn Geffner's blog that he heard that it's some people still discussing whether like season-ending surgery was on the table for Jazz, and that's the only time that I've heard anything that severe mentioned in any um, utterance. Um, just, just wondering if you had heard anything like that, <laughs> that that was a possibility. If um, Jazz is saying he's coming back next week, I would imagine not. Well, I, I would agree. Do you remember, <laughs> Sean, do you remember what day Glenn put that up, just so I can check the way that he phrased it? Initial reactions when Jazz did get injured, had to get carried off the field. I personally thought that he broke his ankle and he was done. So if that was an initial reaction. I could get that, but if that was recent, I don't, I don't know about all that. It was mentioned for this year. I don't think so. But the I mean, point is, I would say Jazz probably back, and like he'll be back maybe the back end of that next road trip it's a long one and they gotta travel a lot of miles from chicago to seattle to washington dc so i mean i would imagine he gets inserted somewhere in there i mean i don't think he's gonna be out for the year but we'll see i think he plays baseball for the miami Marlins in the month of june i would at least put it at that barring a setback yeah What's your next one? If there wasn't another question, something I wanted to touch on, or I want to ask you guys, uh, uh, I wanted what Devin asked about us about Fortes catching Sandy. I was actually planning on asking Skip that tomorrow. Does that happen in the before the end of? We kind of touched on that. And, did you guys? Uh, we we have Grant, let him the speak. Grant, 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 let him speak. Go ahead. No, no, no. His uh, question uh, was done. Yeah, oh, he, was, he, was, yeah, yeah. he was expanding on it, so I thought he wanted to talk. But okay, no, no, no. no, 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 no if you guys touch on it, go ahead. No, run with that. I have, I, I had a second question, but just go ahead. Connects to the first one. So when when you finish this line of thought, I didn't want to cut you guys off. But um, the other one on a happier note, and then I'll message you live the the publication date of the season-ending comment. Um, just one thing, I'm just seeing how shitty the shortstop market is. One thing I was wondering was about um, third base other, and going there instead and just <clears throat> whether it's Amaya or one of Miami's other 50 middle infielders, just um, you know, getting by it, getting by yeah. shortstop at that. So I was wondering if on a happier note, if you guys could throw out some third base names that would potentially interest you. I mean, it's, it's another weak mark of the third base position. Might be the only position offensively it's more depressing than catcher right now, just for what the standard should be. Um, obviously, catchers aren't going to be great offensively, but yeah, there's there's not a lot of people. I did remember that uh, the rumor came out from uh, Ken Rosenthal and C Chat Press fans about uh, India being on the market. But um, I don't know if that's going to happen. There's some uproar from Reds fans about that, and that would be a hefty price. But in terms of like realistic price tags. Yohan Mankata, even then, like, that's not great. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Kevin had to deal with him in fantasy baseball for a while. He's he's not big on that. Oh, but, yeah, no. treating him, yeah. All, all, all jokes aside, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's bleak right now. But as you mentioned, Miami has some options within the organization. Um, I, I think Birdie would be a feasible starting third baseman. I mean, I, 
don't even Come mention on. the name Gene Segura because Alex Carver's in here. Just I'm that's the last time I'm gonna say his name. Oh, just goodness. so I'll save you guys twenty minutes of your time. But uh yeah, Amaya the third. Everyone in here hates Jordan Groshans for some reason. Jordan Groshans because he's not good. I, I I'm not done on him yet. I, I will uh I'm gonna take a Noah uh, route here and, I, I really and defend him till I die. I really don't he, think the third base position for Miami is gonna get filled by a new player. They're paying Gene Segura good amount of money. I think it's a one of Eli will probably know this. I'm not forgetting. Was it a one year two year deal? I believe it was one. No, it's two years. It's two Two years years. plus a club option. Quato is the one that's only one guaranteed year with an option after that. I don't mean mean to like state the obvious, but you know, I don't think things are going much better on the south side of Chicago. Is that the team that Miami should just keep their eyes on the whole time? I know that Miami doesn't have a lot of history of trading with that team at all. Like ever. I don't remember. I don't have any recollection, but uh, so like you mentioned Mokata, obviously Tim Anderson's an obvious choice, not you know probably not too feasible but still you know why hasn't that even been reported as an opportunity we, uh, Anderson, we Anderson talked about Anderson, Anderson a little bit but uh if he, his numbers aren't great but if he gets back to what he was saying he'd be a nice no option, still, but, oh, I mean, still I, I don't care if he's having a shitty year you, you know you you improve third base by having him at short you you know you're using birdie right. and Wendell at third that that's you know you improve the it, it would be nice to have him or Moncada I mean, I would prefer Tim Anderson between the two, but yeah, it just depends on what that price tag is. We mentioned Robert, but um, if Sanchez, DLC, and Jazz can get it together, whoever out there in the outfield can get it going, he's not really like feasible. Like, it, I mean, he'd be nice to have, but it would make a lot of sense if you're going to go trade with Chicago. It would be someone on that left side of the infield. So, um, yeah, so, I'll, I'll look more at the numbers tonight look at contracts options and uh and see who makes sense I'm, i i got the gears turning a little bit now but uh out of the teams that are like clear sellers already i think chicago's the only one that has assets to actually trade actual major league baseball players so uh, Ken, what about candelaria the washington intra division trade i really doubt they do it I, yeah, me too. Whoa. They're, they're in the well, yeah, I'll just jump in and say that I think intra division is actually the terminology. Intra division trades. I think I they're gonna. I think they're they're gonna become a lot more commonplace moving forward if there's that extra wild card team and you're not playing head to head against your division rivals as much as usual. So that is not to me. I don't feel that's gonna be a very significant obstacle as it has historically been. So Condelario having a really great year. So far for the Nats, he's been arguably their best all-around position player, you could say, among the guys that have actually been healthy so far. So that's a name to keep an eye on. Not top of mind, but somebody, somebody to monitor. Well, then, yes, Sean. Keep an eye on Condelario. Two, two years, two years, $17 million with a 2025 club option. You guys want WRC plus check on Gene Cigarette real quick? Any more questions before uh, we get some more people in here? 
I'm good. Thanks. Ah, uh, yeah. Appreciate it as always, sir. Uh, we have Lab Marlins fan, who is also a super subscriber. Question yeah. will bring him in. Yes, he just transitioned his subscription to the new site, so we appreciate that, LMF. Yes, absolutely. For those of you who are requested or are super subscribers, we will get to you soon as we are starting to run out of time a little bit before, uh, before the NBA Finals begin with our Miami Heat. Still got LMF connecting for me. He was, and then he just disappeared. So I think He's still on my screen, but um, as you guys can tell, for those who uh, tune in the beginning, I, I have some technical issues often. So uh, I'll bring in someone else just for time's sake real quick. See if I can load them in. Here we go. All right. Uma. All right. We, we got a speaker. Uh, what's up? What's your question? So I guess I'm just gonna do a pivot more so. So I guess I've been a Marlins fan for a while now, and I guess I've noticed that the biggest two, I guess, open spots that the Marlins have like failed to address for like a long time has been first base and third base. And kind of when you look at the farm, you kind of see like Jacob Berry is just absolutely god awful right now. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then it's like every time the Marlins go into a draft, and you're like, maybe they're just going to use like some common sense and pick the obvious guy. They pivot to a position. Why you seeing a little batters? No one talking. <laughs> you kind of pivot to like a. They go and draft a position where you're like, all right. I mean, I guess, but we'll see how it goes. So it's like, in your opinion, from anybody, I guess, do you guys think that like the Marlins? Uh, not, I guess, developing batters at the corner spots in the infield is more so due to how many hitting coaches we've had in, like, the last 10 years, which I think we're at, like, what, four? I think maybe five, maybe even six. Yeah. And then, or is it just the fact that the Marlins are absolutely god-awful at just drafting players in the corner spots? You just sparked the argument that will last about maybe an hour. It's All right, close. 7.42 right now. We will let this go on until 7.47. Because Alex Carver, I know he's itching. To answer, to answer, it's a, well, first of all, it's a fabulous question. No, it is. This one. is a great question. For, for number two, it's both. And that, I know that's the easy cop-out answer, but it's true. Because he's right that the Marlins have had hitting coach on top of hitting coach, on top of hitting coordinator, on top of this, on top of that. And really, at most of the height of that, or at almost all of that, was Gary Denbo. That was really at the height of it, and now you have Ronald Archimarez. That is, at, I think it's Archimarez, right? That is at the um, that is at the height. Of, or no, no, it's not Archimarez. They didn't, they really didn't replace Denbo's position, but Archimarez is there. You have other people there as well. Um, you still have some of the same people around as well that are that are doing things. You have um, God, what is the guy's name from Houston? I'm forgetting his name. Ozzo Campo. Ozzo Campo is also in the in the mix. So you have all of these guys around that are helping develop international talent. They're helping develop stateside talent. Ozzo Campo is there. Akimaris is there. You have um, you have uh, Hector Crespo. That's also with minor league guys, who's fabulous. So they really didn't replace Denbo, but they just brought in more people. And to me, or brought in more like more heads, I guess I would say for player development, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but. 
they don't really have that that full on like head of minor league development. It doesn't really exist in the current state of the organization. So they have a lot of people around, and they've had a lot of people around, as you said, Uma. They've had a lot of people around, and a lot of a lot of turnover between coaching. Lewis Brinson is a fantastic example of this. He went through so many hitting coaches. I think he went through like four or five hitting coaches and was told to do a different thing by each and every one of them. So it's, it's, it really is a great question. They've had a lot of turnover and it's depressing that they've had a lot of turnover because none of the people that they've brought here at the forefront have been able to develop offensive talent. Hopefully that's starting to change. Um, you can see guys that are starting to do it. We talked about Amaya. You can point to Jake Mangum. You can point to Dane Myers, who literally started hitting two years ago and is doing very, very well right now. Like he was a pitcher in 2021 and he like started hitting in 2021 and he's doing pretty well. So hopefully you're starting to see the turnover and hopefully it's starting to go in a different direction. But like I said, there's there's still a lot of people here and a lot of a lot of voices being heard. But it seems to be working in its current state. As of right now, it's still young into the season. We got to see what happens, but there's 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 still some 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 concern for me in terms of how many voices are, are being heard here from these players. All right, Isaac's rebuttal. You got two minutes. I I didn't hear the. I was offline. That's right. But I, I think those are valid points. And what was I, the question though, Grant? It was about drafting or developing is the issue. Do you yeah. yeah. What was yeah. more of an issue? And the answer yeah. was both. And uh, yeah, I would agree. Right. And my same answer would have been that it's both. But I'm sorry. If you just look at the last five, six drafts of this team, you cannot say that it's not the drafting. They have one player on the 26-man roster or anyone that they can, you know, realistically project as a major leaguer that that they drafted. And that's Nick Cortez. That's but, it. I mean, but also, I guess when you look at it, like, who would have thought that Jacob Berry, who was a very good hitter at LSU, will come to the Marlins and magically not be able to... There were, there were so many signs that it, the lack of exit velocity in his college days, just well, he just wasn't a big... He did not look good, and he was not someone you choose six overall. He had no defensive position, and you're right. The fact that he's completely lost it at the plate, when he came to the organization, fine, maybe the Marlins aren't the best at developing hitters. And I will agree with Carver on that 100%. They're not the best. But Barry was unequivocally the incorrect choice to pick at six overall. And that was just the wrong choice. Connor Scott was the wrong choice. Yeah. Jay Blade was not entirely the wrong choice, but I still wouldn't have gone with him. I would have gone with Riley Green or C.J. Abrams. They just continue to well, choose no, the wrong players. They're nasty. They just yeah. continue to choose the wrong guys. And yeah, they don't help themselves by not developing them, developing them either. <laughs> But I'm sorry, every single pick has been atrocious. Cameron Meisner has been horrible, and, and the race system, and he, the Rays are good at developing guys, right? He's been bad. So I think it's the drafting. It's, I think the biggest boy. guinea pig is going to be the development of Khalil Watson. Yeah. Not, yeah, and that was an easy choice. That was a correct draft choice. He, like, just, he, just, he literally, today, broke an 0 for 30 with a home run. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That you can't blame the Marlins. I, you do blame the Marlins development on that one because he was a you know top five talent and he fell to 16. So sure, that was the that was the correct choice. You can't blame them for that choice. If they if he sucks and he just sucks, it's not their fault. But maybe it is a development point too. It is both. You're right, but I think the drafting is more of an issue than it is of development. A, yeah. a guy that you mentioned, a guy that you mentioned really quick, Isaac. A guy that you mentioned is Cam Meisner. 
Did you look at his month of May by chance or a problem? Oh, my God. I don't start with his month. All right. No, so. All right. All right. All right. Get, get his stats out and then we're done. Are we going one. with we the month of May? Eisner, who was drafted four years ago? <laughs> yes, we are. We, I, I'm going to mention it because now he's in a different system and he's starting to at least start to show some success. He was traded oh, for Joey Wendell two years ago. He stinks. <laughs> Two seventy one, four thirty five, four eighty six in May. That's all I'll say.
he's sure to get it together at some point. He's JT Romito. And, yeah, the Phillies could be on a downward trajectory from here on out. I am starting to get a little concerned. The, the way their roster is built, it's not really sustainable. And their run last year, I think, was kind of lucky. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't think that trade's feasible, yeah. though, at least for a team in the NL East. If you want to look for a realistic target on the Phillies, maybe Garrett Stubbs. Maybe they could pry yeah. the backup away from the Phillies. And that Noah would be happy about that. Yeah, you see, that one makes sense, Garrett Stubbs. There we go. I could see that. I could. It's that's how time flies. That Real Mutual only has two more years on his Philly deal. Is that correct? Yeah, that's yeah. nuts. I thought that. Yeah. Was that like, I feel like it just happened. He signed a five-year deal. What the heck? That's crazy. Jeez. Oh, All right. But yeah. Have you got any other questions for us, Chase? <laughs> no, just throwing that out. I, I know it's never long shot would happen, but just something to discuss. For fun. What, what, I, mean, I, know I might throw on the PlayStation tonight and do that one. Just <laughs> well, I, I know he's horrible this year. It's just been, you know, atrocious. But Austin Barnes? We'll, we'll discuss more. We'll, we'll discuss For, more. Former Marlin Austin Barnes, they, you know, they could use a reunion for them. He's been pretty done. <laughs> Jorge Alfaro reunion, and we'll leave it at that. All right. Chase, thank you. Uh, Trying to get a rapid fire here. We're going to get as many people as possible. We got we got Sharif. Been requesting since the beginning. I, I wanted to get to this guy. Uh, oh, Sharif, what what's your question, mate? Hey, good evening, guys. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. It, yeah um, first of all, uh, I appreciate the coverage that you guys do. I'm always locked in on YouTube, and uh, the name change. Uh, I was right there when you. Uh, made the the name change for the entire team, and you gave your reasons why. I think you also visited Peter from um, Lock On Marlins. You you know, and so I appreciate you all giving the coverage. I've been a Marlins fans uh, for quite a long time, and what I see in this team uh, is a little bit of Derek Lee and uh, Jorge Soler. Um, and I'm not worried about Segura. Remember, we had Gonzo. When we went to the World Series, he hit what Mendoza average, but one of the better defenders uh, at shortstop, Alex Gonzalez. So that's who Segura reminds me of. I'm not worried about Stallings because I don't know any other catcher that can control the five pitchers we want to pitch. If you ask me his location and what he asks the pitchers to do, it's very elite. Um, and, and so if you if you asked Fortes to take over that spot in a year or so. I'm cool with Fortes. In fact, Brett Brown has been working with Fortes, and he's been working with Jesus Sanchez, opening up his uh, hips a little, and you see now he's hitting the ball more to right. But the, the thing is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about we're four games over 500. I think something is cooking special. And now my reasons for Sandy being the way he is is because he doesn't have Pablo to look up to. Remember, Pablo was the veteran last year and years before, and, and Sandy would go look up to Pablo. And who who is he going to look up to? Uh, maybe Stottlemyre? So I think Sandy's not going to go into the bullpen between innings and kind of look up to anyone. And Pablo was that guy, and I think that's affecting him between innings. That's my thoughts. Thank you. Hey, we, we appreciate the thoughts. Um Let's see here. Try, I'm trying to get as many people as we can in here today. Um, 
this guy Brian has been requested for a while, so we'll, we'll see what Brian's question here is. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll simply say on that on that subject that I think even defensively there's room to improve at those up the middle positions as well. That with Stallings, he's got a very long opportunity to be the guy they thought they were getting a couple of years ago, and I don't think he's been that guy even defensively. That's been a disappointment for me. And uh, yeah, they need to be open to looking for replacements there. Can I can I point something out as well about what what Sharif had to say? And uh, no no disrespect at all to your your points, um, but I think it's pretty unfair to compare Segura to to Gonzalez. And I'll give you one stat to prove it: Segura has a negative zero point four D war in that what was that the two thousand three season? Gonzalez was a plus zero point four D war. So Segura makes some decent plays. He's made some sliding plays. Yes, we all remember those. He's also made some pretty bad ones. So he, he's literally, and I don't want to harp, and I know I've harped on it a lot, but so I won't do it again. The guy literally does not provide anything to this team. Zero. So that's it. Okay, Carver. Like, relax. No, I mean, you, you can't. Isaac, seriously, you can't keep around a guy that does so little for a team if you're serious about competing. You can't do it. You can't. All right. We, we don't need to harp too much longer on, on Sugura just because we, we trash him every single week in these spaces, I feel like. So Brian's here. Brian, what, what's your question here? We can go a little bit over. Uh, too, as well. Dude, we got three minutes left, so I was just going to say. Um, you can go. Ask whatever you got. Yeah, yeah. Well, first off, um, you know, I'm usually pretty negative, but I'm pretty impressed by the week, especially after uh, losing that series against the Padres. You know, sweeping the A's, even though we technically played a triple-A team, so hopefully that just got us ready for Kansas City, which isn't, I mean, a bit better, but not too crazy. Better than the A's. Um, so looking at the positives, uh, I, I got in a little bit late, so I don't know if you guys talked about it. So Trevor looks like he had a good outing today against Durham in Jacksonville. Uh, I know it's like one of the big topics what the heck is going to happen when he's ready to come back? Um, you know, I don't know how the rehab, doesn't he have like 30 days that he can be doing a rehab assignment? Do we just try to stretch him as long as we can and keep evaluating Yuri and other pitchers or is a move going to happen? What, what are your thoughts on that? I, uh, Yuri, I think Yuri goes down. Yeah, mm, I, that, is, that is true. But he, he, there was he, something like, I no, remember no. that happened last year. Didn't Trevor rehab in Triple A and just stay down there? No, he pitched at the end of the year. I know yes. he came back up, but didn't he actually serve a minor league stint? No, I so no, so last year he had a little bit of a of a fan some IL stints where he did go down a little bit and pitched, and he came back up. And in this case, in this scenario, I think Trevor comes back soon, and I, I think they go they should, and I hope they do go with the six man. It just makes too much sense not to. I think the innings are the only issue with Yuri. Because by August he'll be over a hundred, and but I think it just serves everyone else well. You know, give Sandy an extra day. I know you don't want to, you know, have your Cy Young Award winner not pitch every five days, but still, I think, especially with the way the schedule uh, presents itself in the next couple of months, it makes too much sense to not go six man for this uh, for the remainder of this at least the next couple of months. I think I hope yeah. that's what they do. Yeah, and that's what I hope as well. I'll say that right now. I think Yuri has played himself into staying in the big leagues. He's, you know, besides the innings, I really don't see much issues with Yuri. Obviously, I think pitch mix will will suit itself, and he, that'll adjust to you know, obviously the opponent. And after he gets used to the ball, the baseball completely, and it looks like he really has, and he looks good. So, 
I mean, it's just now we'll need your sixth man. And I think it'll even benefit Sandy because, you know, despite, you know, besides, you know, pretty all right start today, despite the third inning, I mean, yeah. you probably want to go in, you don't want to go in all nine every game either. And cutting his shorts a little short, short wouldn't hurt him. Yeah, and with Sandy, that, this is the way you wanted to struggle. It was, it was a really tough third inning, and he came back, and it was nearly perfect the rest of the way. He almost faced the minimum the whole way through, all the way to the seventh. He could have gone the eighth. He was at 90 pitches, I believe, and he could have gone back out for the eighth, but, you know, why mess with it? Uh, I think in Yuri, it was initially reported that it would be, what, three starts at most. Colorado might have been the last one, and he's just pitched so well. And, geez, he pitches well beyond his years. It's insane to watch him pitch. It's unbelievable, actually. So yeah, I don't think it's, he's going to send him down. I, I think he is really forcing their hand. He's forcing them to make a very tough decision. They wanted to send him down back when Trevor came back. And I don't think they can. He's too. He's helping out this major league team so much that how can they do it? And the other thing, too, the other thing, too, that I pointed out yesterday, Isaac, and I got kind of some flack for it for even mentioning it on, on Twitter, is that Braxton has also been pretty good. So yeah, you can't even great. do that. Like, it's, it's hard to That's why. Like, he Probably had one of our best. He had the one blow-up start where he had like allowed like 11 runs or whatever to the Braves, which was terrible. Um, the start after that was was a step forward, but it's easy to take a step forward from that. But since then, he's been he's been pretty pretty damn good. I mean, the guy only throws 90 miles an hour when he has the location that he does, which I thought was very good in his last start. And I pointed this out on on the Fish on First um, preview show. Um, man, like if he's commanding the lower half of the zone and burying that curveball, like it, it's very, very hard to to say that that guy isn't effective. And he is. He gets innings and he takes them, and he's not lights out and he's not strike out ten guys to start or anything like that. But he gets easy innings and he eats them up and saves the bullpen. So that's that's what you need at the back yeah. end of the rotation. Braxton's providing that. So it's hard to yeah, it, it's hard to send down Yuri because of what he showed. What I would say still, though, and it's still been the same thing since his minor league days, and we continue to point to this on, on content that we provide, is that they don't let him go very far into starts. But, I mean, that's something that can change later in the year, especially if he's going to stay up. I'm sure they would take the leash off. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's so much that can be said, but I think six-man has to be the way that they have to be thinking because especially if they want to get Trevor back right away, if they want to leave Trevor down and build him up a little bit more, I think that would also be fair. A couple of people have said that as well. But if you want to get this back guy, if you want to get Trevor back right now, um, I think six man's got to be what they're thinking. Um, it, it would be hard to see it going any other way with Yuri or Braxton going down. That would be a very, very difficult decision. And to add, no, and they did that with they did it with Yuri already. You know, he was at seventy six pitches through four in the blowout win on Saturday. And they let him go out. He went to what eighty-eight pitches, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah, he went to eighty-eight. So I mean, getting up there. Um, I, I want to see ninety plus. Honestly, is what I want to see. We've seen it very, okay. very. Okay, you know, come on, same shit. No, you know, same thing. Right. And the point okay. is, we've Boston. seen him go eighty-five, eighty-eight. We've seen him go ninety-two. We haven't seen him go go over that. But that, I mean, that, like I said, it can it can be done. I mean, it's still a twenty-year-old kid. He's been twenty for two months. He's going to be fine. Um, if they want to send him down and build him up to that level, I get it. But it, with what he's proving at the major league level, it's going to be tough to do. Yeah, exactly. The, the only he's other thing barely I would older say, than Kevin is doing this. It's nasty. Yeah. The only other thing I would Wait, say before what? you guys go, I know you guys got to go, but the only other thing I would say, because you guys were calling out Sandy, the only other thing I would say very briefly on Alcantara today, yes, he wasn't perfect, and yes, 
you know, it's it's tough to see what what's happening with with him overall with his pitching lines and everything else. What I would say is though is that his changeup stay was probably as best as we've ever seen it uh, so far this year. Yes, so that's that's an encouraging sign from Alcantara. Yes, that's a good point. That is not something in particular we spoke about, and that is absolutely what stood out to me as well. Is the changeup that was the 2022 Sandy changeup that made a huge difference. I'd have to. I've been so back and forth on this. I was about to record a pod about putting Trevor in the bullpen as a long man, and you guys kind of talked me through that. I think it's a simple six-man rotation for a very short period of time. For a very short period of time, I think the six-man is going to be the way to go. Then, as soon as you just go through the names in their bullpen, Jeff Tart, Puck is coming back. If Matt Barnes comes back a couple weeks from now, then all of a sudden you have eight pretty decent relievers and only seven spots for those. So I think it would be very short-lived, but I do think one, maybe two times through the rotation, it's six-man. And then if everybody stays healthy and if everybody shoves, then that'd be a great, tough decision to have. And for the moment, I don't think they have to make that decision. I think um, the six-man would be the way to go. Yeah, for a very temporarily, temporary fix for this team. And that's yeah. all I'll say. I, I want a six-man because you know, also you don't even know how Trevor's going to come back. Yeah, he's really good, but in triple a but that's triple a and on top of that you don't know how he's going to come back i mean he only had one good start or two right before the il stint and you know at the start of the season he looked pretty shaky so it's a matter of keep the guy who you know is having success in erie and then have trevor and he he looks good and then you have six pretty damn good starters Agreed. I brought Sean and Romeo in here for last call. Uh, we'll, we'll get these final questions and we'll get everyone out of here. One thing about Trevor, I feel like you guys are not talking about, is that if he does and they do make it a six-man rotation, we have to hit. We have to see Jacob Solomon in that lineup three times more than Fortes. Because I don't see unless unless something changes, I don't see Solomon changing from Sandy's personal, even though it should. And, and that is something that, that is also a, probably a big part of what they're going to do is Collins is sitting under, what, 175? He's sitting like 150? It, he had a hit the other day, but yeah, I don't want to see this guy hitting. I don't want to see him catching. I don't even want to see him in, in, in the dugout. He should be in like Cancun or something just chilling with his kids. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, let's, let's, let's be honest it's just be honest. And um I was gonna say another reason why it, it always it's always one inning for Sandy. And I know it's not a real fact, like or not a true fact, but um Hot Whistle uh he had um, put out something like every time that Sandy walks a batter eighty percent of the chance they scored. And then it's it's the thing, is it's just the batter gets on, it's unless it's not a unless it's a double, if it's a single or a walk. They're getting the second. He, he Stallings and him and and just can't hold runners. Then the runners are are dang. What, what, have they caught anybody stealing this year? And yeah, they the same last year, but it's it's now now there's no shift. Now it's a different play, and it's just those runners are scoring because he's not thinking. It's it's he's struggling with the runners on base, and that's what it is because that there was no runners on base. Besides the double play that Wendell had pulled by himself, it was what, it was 6-3. That was the only double play, like, like inning that they had gotten a single and they didn't score. And it's kind of, like, pressuring. It's always just one inning where he walks one while we have the lead and then 
it just unravels, and it's just always been like that this year. It's, he has one bad inning. Besides the one in Philly, the Philly game, that one was just bad all around. We got any last thoughts from uh, from Mr. Sean or Brian as well? Uh, any chance that we can stay away from Matt Barnes as long as possible? He really pissed me off this week. Um, I looked sorry on the good yesterday in the what his three innings that he pitched. Shout out. Um, any 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 other guys that you know, guys that we could probably uh, have better option than Matt Barnes, man. He's just I feel like he's been like one of our most shaky, like um, you know, relief pitchers. Considering they traded Richard Blyer for him, I mean, you yeah, had to assume some of the risks Facts. coming with him. But uh, I think he could get it together. But uh, with the way he's been playing recently, it was kind of obvious that he had something going on. So hopefully he gets better once he gets off the IL. And like sure I alluded to, um, it, it, they could have a good problem coming here in, in the coming weeks if Matt Barnes comes back and that starts to shove a little bit. The only thing I'll say is I know Barnes, for the most part, I know people will say he's been shaky, but, and obviously he's had a great injury, and I think that definitely played a part, but for the guy, he was pretty good overall. I know he had his good, he's had his really good moments this year, and I know at times he's been pretty good, but yeah, I mean, he's probably been one of the shakier guys in the, in the bullpen, but he, I don't worry on it too much. No, I have him as the... Is it the seventh best or the eighth best reliever in here? He's behind Floro. He's behind Puck. He's behind Chagua. He's behind Nardi. He's behind Scott. He's behind Okert. Um, so he's, he's a guy, but he is at the bottom of the totem pole. That's a decision. That's a place where they may look to upgrade internally. That's one spot where internally they have some guys I like in the upper minors, whether it's Anthony Maldonado. Yeah, whether Tim Sean Reynolds is shoving at double A, I don't know why he's I don't know why he's still stuck in Pensacola, but he's coming. He's on the 40 man. Um, so that yeah, that'll be a position that they can address as the year goes on. Let's see what he looks like when he comes back from this brief break that he's on. Man, we, we talk about guys Eli that are earning their way up, and I, I really, I really do think you have to look at, at Maldonado, who has been fabulous with a 45 to 9 strikeouts to walks ratio, uh, ERA under two. Like this guy's good. Um, he pitched, I think, in the World Baseball Classic as well. Like this guy, this guy's good. He looks good. Um, you know, throws upper nineties and reach ninety eight, ninety nine. He's good. Um, I don't think this guy has much left to prove if he keeps going on his current track. So. Really deserving, honestly. I've been watching him closely. He is like, uh, yeah, like you, you hit it. Like his time should be coming really soon, honestly. Is he forty man? No, I don't think so. All right, Sean's got his hand up, so we'll go. Sean, then Romeo, take a lot. Two more questions, and we'll get out of here. Yeah, if I throw out, I'm liking three and a half as a over/under number for Avery starts rest of the season. Um, just to go around the horn, you guys taking the over or the under? I'll take the over. I'm sorry, over. you said three and a half. Yeah. yeah. Over for the rest of the season. Over. Yeah. Over. Over. I will smash the over. Like yeah. break it, Sean. I would break it. Like okay, well, if that's a bad one, then let's throw let's throw a new one out. No, we seem like we seem like we were ready to send him down for Trevor, and like a minute ago, hey, hey, he'll come back up. <laughs> no, I think I I mentioned it because that's what we've been hearing mainly. Not no sources, just reading off of Twitter, seeing people's opinions. Like and that's what we said ourselves. We've spoken off the group chat, but 
I would not be opposed to a six man. I prefer a six man. I want to keep Yuri up. I believe that he has made the the point that he needs to stay up. He should not be down in the minors. He has nothing to prove in AAA. No, you know, he's made the jump with different baseballs to add, and he's had success. There's no need to send him down. Now, my only concern is how does Trevor come back? Does he come back how we signed the last two strikes before his injury? Good. Or do we see Trevor early on in the year where he kind of struggled a little bit, didn't look like himself, like we saw at the end of 2022, most of 2021? That's the only concern. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Before, I don't understand how you can send somebody down. I know it's just an, uh, it's one at-bat, but not even one at-bat. Otani had one hit on him. I know it's just one team, but that's the best player in the world. In the world. Him and Mike Trout went one for what was it one for four, one for five against him, and you're gonna try and send him down. It's one at bat, but he's twenty years old. He's twenty years old. He's facing the best players in the world, and he dominated them. He shut that team down. There's no reason you should send him down. And then it's also add the fact nobody wants to see Stockton hit. Let's be serious here, guys. Let's be honest. Uh, just to counter what you said, Romeo. The starts that he's made today, the starts that he's made this year, Stallings, despite catching all of them, it's only two more. So I wouldn't be surprised if Fortin's catches Trevor and he's not moving on. Just want to let you know. But you're not wrong. Stallings has been his main catcher lately or throughout his time. You know, with Stallings in Miami, he's been the main guy for for Trev. But it wouldn't surprise me if Fortes catches him more moving forward, just Fortes being the better overall player. All right. Hey, Roman, do you have one last one? If so, get it in real quick. I have two things to say, but the one's quick. Tommy Nance is still on our 60-man or 40-man roster. Just wanted to set that, let that out there. And Justin Lawrence, stat of the day. That's something I'm going to do now. He has a save today in an inning. In a, oh, no, yesterday. My apologies. He had two saves in this, this, save, the, this series versus the Royals. I hope you guys have a good night. <laughs> well, I mean, it's against the Royals, but yeah, we'll take it. Look, the Marlins are going to be playing the Royals this week, uh, so can't talk too much about that. But thank you, everyone, for listening. This is a really good spaces to return on after a uh, week off. Thank you all for supporting the new Fish on First. Uh, we're, we're so glad to have you guys. Very, very grateful that this transition has been pretty, pretty smooth. We've got the stream tomorrow, so uh, make sure to tune into that. Go Heat, and uh, we'll see you this time next week.